Come on, let's give the Lord some praise in the house. Come on, if you know he's worthy, why don't you lift your voice? And why don't you shout with a voice of triumph? Ah, the Holy Ghost is moving in the house. Come on, you ought to praise him just for a few more moments. If God's been good to you, you ought to give him praise. That's why the Bible commands us to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Meaning that my praise ought to match how great God's been to me. Has God been great to anybody in the house? That means if God's been great to you, you ought to give Him a great praise. My praise ought to match how great He's been to me. Come on, if God's ever healed your body, why don't you praise Him? If He's ever answered a prayer, why don't you praise Him? Oh, hallelujah. Well, it feels good in church tonight, doesn't it? And what an honor it is to be in the house of the Lord with you this evening. And I know you're standing, so 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter number 5, and I'll read one verse this evening, and uh, as you're finding 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, I'd like to say that it's an honor to be in the house of the Lord with you this evening, and I give honor to uh, Brother and Sister Voskis and their family, and love and appreciate them and give them honor tonight, and also give honor to uh, Bishop and Sister Wilson in their absence. It's always an honor to be able to uh, come and minister the word of the Lord to this great church. And I was thinking on the drive over this afternoon, um, I was thinking of how blessed I was to be able to call this home for so many years. And it's still home. It still feels like home every time I come. And uh, I was thinking that uh, three of my four children were dedicated this sanctuary and uh, a pivotal moment in my life we were privileged to be able to be here and I cannot put into words the impact and the difference it's made in my life and my ministry and my family and uh, it's always an honor to be able to come and be here with you and I really feel like the Lord wants to do something supernatural tonight for some individuals now I didn't come to church just to say well I went to church you know a lot of times we go to church just to say well I can check it off the box I went to church but I've come to learn that there is a difference between going to church and then having church once you get there and I believe that there's some people there's a lot of people who have come to church tonight with that mindset, that mentality that says, I have no interest just going to church. But I want the Lord to do something for me when I get there. And I believe that God is going to meet with us this evening. First Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 8, we probably could all quote it. When Peter tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, 
as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary, the devil. How many knows we have an adversary when it comes to the devil? See, Peter doesn't just tell us we have an adversary. He then lets us know who that adversary is. Because the only adversary we're supposed to have in this life is the devil. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but our adversary is the devil. The Bible says he is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. It's not if the lion attacks, it's when he attacks. Because you live life long enough, whether you're in the church or out of the church, and it's not going to be long till the devil tries to attack. And so for a few moments this evening, however long God will keep us, I want to simply preach to you on what to do when the lion attacks. What to do when the lion attacks. Why don't we lift our hands one more time very quickly. And as we lift our hands, why don't we lift our voice one more time. And let's join our voice together with our brothers and sisters and ask the Holy Ghost to speak to us. Ah, the Holy Ghost is still moving and ministering. God, I pray your word would have free course in this house. God, every individual, every family, every marriage, every young person, every home, God, I pray you would move and minister in this house. In Jesus' name, why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap of praise. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this evening. As I begin this evening, allow me to preface the sermon by saying that the intent of what I'm preaching is not to uplift or give advantage to our adversary. I haven't come to eulogize the devil simply because there's nothing in him that's praiseworthy. The only thing we have in common with the devil is we all believe that there's one God. So there's nothing good besides that to be said about him. So any statement I do make about him is not to exalt, but rather to expose. Any experienced soldier or fighter knows if you're going to defeat your enemy, it would be wise to know who your enemy is and what your enemy is capable of. And so while I haven't come to shine the spotlight on our adversary, the truth of the matter is every one of us in this room, we all are in the middle of a spiritual battle. The Bible clearly and emphatically states that our adversary is the devil. His diabolical schemes, including sowing tares among the wheat, incorporating false doctrine and perverting God's infallible word. He desires to blind humanity to the truth, to attack and accuse the saints. He desires to lay snares and to tempt, afflict, to deceive the hearts of many. His purpose is to gain control by thwarting the will of God and ultimately destroying the people of God. This adversary, this devil that I'm preaching about is devious and he is deceitful. He desires to formulate strategies aimed at the destruction of those sitting in this room this evening. 
He desires to persuade those that he can lead astray. Understand this about the devil. He is the chief adversary of your soul. And this adversary that we are battling has been given many names that illuminate his corrupt character. He's called the devil and the accuser of the brethren, the prince and the power of the air. He's called the ruler of darkness and the dragon, the serpent and the wicked one. He's even called the tempter, the liar, and the father of all lies. But there is another description we read a few moments ago that we're going to focus on for the remainder of the sermon this evening. And it's when the Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, he's called a devil because, or he's called a lion because of the rage, malice, and cruelty he breathes out against the church. The fact is, you can call him whatever you wish, but when you get down to it, this devil, this adversary, has the same beastly nature of a lion. A lion is nature's most deadly killing machine. And every year they are responsible for over 350 deaths. A fully grown male lion is nine feet long and will stand three and a half feet at the shoulders. He will weigh anywhere from 350 to 500 pounds. To my knowledge, the largest recorded lion was found in Africa during the early 1800s and it weighed 690 pounds. A lion, they tell me, can run up to 35 miles an hour and see clearly in the pitch darkness. These lions can run down, leap upon, snap the back, destroy, and drag away a 600-pound zebra, a feat that would take eight men in this room to do this evening. A lion can cover 100 yards in merely seconds. It can charge 60 feet in the blink of an eye. Their jaw can crush 700 pounds per square inch. And this is how Peter describes our adversary. And throughout the pages of the Bible, we read of individuals who had encounters with lions such as this. It was the young Samson who was one day on the road to Timnath. And your Bible says a lion came again him, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he tore the lion to pieces. It was Benaiah, the leader of David's guard, who found himself in a pit on a snowy day and he stared eye to eye with this thing called a lion, but he was able to overcome his adversary. It was Daniel, we understand, who was cast into a den of lions, but the angel came and shut the mouth of those lions. Now, we understand this evening that these were lions uh, that were fought in the natural uh, and I haven't come to Potscam this evening to preach uh, about some natural lion uh, because I don't think anybody in this room uh, is in danger right now of a natural lion uh, but there is a spiritual lion uh, every one of us in this room uh, has to fight on a daily basis uh, and the truth is if you're not under attack uh, you have been or you will be uh, but in fact I believe there's some people uh, in this room right now 
who feels the reeling effects of the attack that hell's been throwing against you in days gone by. And there's people under the sound of my voice who's come to church on a Sunday night and you're wondering and you're asking if this is what's after me, if this is what's after my home, my family, my marriage, and my children, then what am I supposed to do when the lion attacks? Is there anybody in this room who wants to know the appropriate response when the lion moves from a roar and he begins to attack? Ladies and gentlemen, I feel your spirit in this room. There's people on the sound of my voice. I may butcher this sermon, but it'll be all right. There's people on the sound of my voice right now. You're in a battle. You're in a spiritual fight. And you've come to church wondering. You've come to church questioning. What do I got to do? I'm in a battle. I'm in a fight. I've come to tell everybody in this room that there is an appropriate response. It is in the book of Hebrews where your Bible says there were those who stopped the mouth of the lion. And there's people under the sound of my voice. You want the same thing to happen. There's marriages and there's homes and there's young people and there's families who wants the mouth of the lion to be stopped. And you're asking and you're wondering, what do I have to do? It's interesting to note that there were some guidelines given by a safari guide in the Smithsonian Institute some time ago on what you're supposed to do when you come under an attack by a lion. And I believe the instructions given in the natural would also apply in the spiritual when we come under attack. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing we are told to do, the number one instruction you are given when you find yourself under attack is you just stand still and refuse to run. The Bible would put it like this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Corinthians says stand. Ye fast in the faith. Quit yourselves like men and be strong. Thessalonians says for we live if we stand fast in the faith. When the lion attacks and it looks like you're not going to make it. And it looks like you're going to lose it all. And it looks like the battle's over. I've come to tell somebody, you've got to square your shoulders. You've got to plant your feet in the ground and refuse to run. I've come to tell some individuals in this room, if you want to be victorious, you've just got to stand your ground. If you want your family to survive, you've got to stand... You've got to stand your ground because the first thing you've got to do is make up your mind. I'm not backing up. I'm not backsliding. I'm not quitting the church. I'm going to stand my ground. And if I stand, God's about to come. Heaven's about to come. I've just got to make up my mind. Can I tell everybody in this room? That you were not created to wave the flag of surrender. You were not created to retreat. You were not created to turn and run. You've just got to determine within yourself when the lion attacks, I'm not going anywhere. It has been proven that running from a lion will in fact incite 
It's prey chasing mechanism. And so when you're attacked, it's not time to turn your back and run. It's not time to back up or turn to the side, but it's time to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I've come to tell some individuals what Moses told Israel. You just stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I know he's attacking your marriage. I know he's attacking your kids. I know he's attacking your home. I know he's attacking the church, but you hear me right now the devil cannot do anything with somebody who refuses to surrender the devil can't do much with somebody who refuses to quit hell has no answer for those who stand their ground in the middle of the attack I've come to chase somebody loose and tell you you've got to make up your mind I'm not quitting I'm not backing up but I'm standing my ground Discover Wildlife will tell you that most charges by a lion are mock charges or false charges. So if you'll stand your ground, you'll most likely be fine. My Bible says it this way. Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. It's amazing that that word resist means to stand against or to withstand. And that's exactly what you and I have to choose to do in the heat of the battle when all hell's forces seem to be their strongest. I've got to resist and I've got to stand against and I've got to withstand the attack. Let me tell you, let me, let me give you a secret about hell. Satan has a secret, ladies and gentlemen. It's a secret. He doesn't want anybody in this room to know. James tells us the secret. If you'll just resist, if you'll just stand against the attack, I don't know when and I don't know how, but the day's coming, the devil's going to leave. Hell will attack and hell will fight you so much because he's hoping we'll give up, but he doesn't want you to know that somebody who stands against the attack is somebody he doesn't have an answer for. Satan's secret is he'll eventually flee if you can just hold on. And I haven't come to preach some theological sermon tonight. I've come to tell somebody... If you'll just make up your mind, I'm holding on. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving in. There's a day coming when God's coming. There's a moment that's about to transpire that heaven's coming. I wonder if there's anybody in this house who's willing to stand your ground against what hell is after. The lion wants every family in this room. The lion wants every young person in this room. The lion wants every marriage in this room. But I wonder if I've got some individuals who say if this is what hell's after, I'm standing my ground. If he wants that, he's got to go through me. I wish somebody in this room would just get militant on a Sunday night that said I'm not quitting. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not running away. I've come to tell somebody if you want to live for God, you can. I've come to tell somebody, if you want to be victorious, you can be. If you want to be triumphant, you can. You've just got to make up in your mind. I'm not going anywhere. I may have ran before, Pastor, but this time's different. Oh, boy. John 6. Verse 66, your Bible says this. 
From that day, many of the disciples no longer walked with him. They figured it's not worth the fight. And Jesus turns to his other disciples and said, will you leave also? But Peter already had his mind made up. Regardless of who leaves or who stays, where else are we going to go? Because you have the words of eternal life. You know what Peter had made up in his mind? It's the same thing that we all, at some juncture in our life, have to make up our mind ourselves. When everybody else may quit, everybody else in my family may backslide, everybody else may get bitter and leave God. But you're looking at an individual who settled a long time ago. Come hell or high water, I'm riding this thing out. I'm going to be here. Regardless of what hell throws against me. And you have to have the same mentality if you're going to make it. Because attacks are going to come. Battles are going to happen. Man, I'm trying to move on, but I'm stuck right here. There is. No plan B, ladies and gentlemen. Peter said, where else am I going to go? I know too much. I've experienced too much. I have felt too much. Where else am I going to go and be happy? God, I feel my Holy Ghost right now. Where else am I going to go and be satisfied? Where else am I going to go and find fulfillment? I'm preaching to somebody right now. You've been kind of just thinking in your mind. Well, if it doesn't work out, I'm quitting the church. You better get that mentality out of your mind. Because if you're going to make it, if your family's going to make it, there's no one foot in and one foot out. You've got to make up your mind. I'm here. Regardless of what happens. Regardless of what comes my way. Pastor, you're not going to have to wonder where I am. I'm going to be here every Sunday. I'm going to be here every Wednesday. First thing you've got to do is make up your mind. There's nowhere else to go. See, the second thing they tell me, and I'm going to try to get through this. I may, I may not. Second thing they tell me you've got to do when you come under attack is you've got to talk back to the lion. See, the greatest example of this I can find is when the Bible says Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by that lion. For 40 days, the lion didn't just attack. For 40 days, the lion taught. If you be who you say you are, do this. If you are who you claim to be, do this. For 40 days, the lion attacked. For 40 days, the lion talked. And what's amazing to me about that entire story is every time the lion attacked Jesus, he didn't one time plead the blood. Oh, he could have because there's life in the blood. The blood is what spared the firstborn in Egypt. The blood is what forgives and remits sin. But every time the lion attacked, he didn't one time plead the blood. What's even more amazing is he didn't one time invoke his name. He could have, 
because he has a name that's been highly exalted than any other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. He could have pleaded the blood. He could have invoked his name. But every time the lion attacked and every time the lion taught, you know what Jesus done? He looked back at that devil and said three words. It is written. You know what Jesus was saying? If the lion's going to talk to me, then I've got to open my mouth and I've got to talk back to the lion because the only way to shut the mouth of a talking devil is I've got to open my mouth and I've got to speak the word. This is why in the book of Ephesians we read about the armor of God that we have been given to fight this lion. Our loins are girded about with truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. We have the shield of faith which quenches the darts. And we have the helmet of salvation. Every bit of that armor is used to be on the defense. The shield protects me from the darts. The helmet protects my mind from false doctrine. And the list goes on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, all of that armor is used to be on the defense. But aren't you thankful God never intended His church to always duck and dodge the attack of the enemy? Because God said, I gave you all that for defense. But there's one more thing I'm going to give you. He said, I'm going to give you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can I tell somebody, that sword, that Bible that you got, isn't used to be on the defense. Every now and again, you've got to pull that sword out and open your mouth and declare what God's Word has already said. You see, when hell attacks, he always attacks with his mouth. That's right, that's all he's got to attack with. He attacks with words. He attacks with thoughts. And so if that's how he's going to attack me, then I might as well just take a page out of his playbook and open my mouth and talk back to him. You see, when hell attacks, it's then that you need to stand your ground. And open your mouth and talk back to the lion. Because here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. He's talked to some of us long enough. I wish there would be some people in this room before we dismiss and go home who would just pull that sword out and declare what God's Word said. You know what? sometimes what you have to do? You've got to look at that adversary and say, Behold, I give you power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Every now and again, you've got to pull that sword out and say, Devil, it is written. He's going to make me the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out every time hell speaks a lie you've got to open your mouth and speak the truth every now and again you've got to look at that adversary and say if God be for me it doesn't matter who or what's against me you've got to open your mouth you've got to speak his word because hell hates the word. He's the father of all lies. I'm going to tell you why he hates the word. Because this word is truth. This word is life. God is bound to his word. And anytime you quote the word, 
You know what you're doing to the devil? You're entering God into the equation. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying every time he talks, you need to open your mouth and talk back. Because when you begin to talk back with what this Word says, you're entering God into that situation. I was, I was preaching somewhere some time ago. And uh, we began to pray for a young couple in the altar during altar service. And after church, the pastor began to kind of share some of their backstory with me. Come to find out that couple had only been in church about three months. Came in off the street, didn't know anything about apostolic, didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. Marriage was on the rocks, addicted, in and out of jail. First time in an apostolic service, they repented. We're baptized in Jesus' name. God gave them the Holy Ghost. That night they're praying in the altar. I mean, tears like I've never seen before. Eyes were swollen after church. They had prayed so hard. That pastor told me just a couple weeks before that service, that man had called him and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you now. Can I meet you at your office? And he said, Sure, come meet me a few hours before church. That young man walks in, sits down, tells his pastor, Pastor, if something doesn't change, I'm quitting the church. He said, you know my story. I've been in and out of jail, in and out of rehab. Marriage is almost split up multiple times. Almost lost custody of my kids. He said, but I have not fought anything like I have fought since coming to God and starting the church. And he said, Pastor, if something doesn't change, I can't promise you I'll be here much longer. That pastor looked back at that young man who was desperate for an answer. He said, son, do you have any device in your home where you could play preaching from? He said, yes, sir, I've got my iPhone, I've got my iPad. It becomes so intense that he told the pastor that there would be days that he could hear footsteps going down the hall. Knowing no one was in that house. He could begin to feel that oppression begin to settle in. And that pastor told that young man, the next time that happens, I want you to find a sermon and start playing it through your house. A few days passed. All of a sudden, that young man told his pastor that I began to hear footsteps coming down the hall. He said, I begin to feel this heaviness begin to come in my home. Anxiety and fear and apprehension began to just settle over me. He said, Pastor, I remember what you told me. He said, Pastor, I jumped up, grabbed my iPhone, hooked it to my surround system, and I began to play the sermon you had just preached. And he said, Pastor, almost immediately, when the Word of God began to go through my house, he said, I began to feel that pressure back up. And he said, now instead of hearing footsteps coming toward me, I begin to hear footsteps going away from me. And he said, before I realized it, that presence had left my house. Can I tell everybody in this room, there is something that you've got. There is a weapon that God has left us. It is the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. And when that adversary attacks, you've just got to pull the sword out. 
I wish there'd be some individuals in this room uh, before we dismiss and go home uh, would look at that adversary uh, and say, I am more than a conqueror. I'm not a survivor. I'm not going to barely make it. I am more than a conqueror because I've got something on my side. He's talked to some of you long enough. I didn't come to sermonize very much this evening, ladies and gentlemen, but there's a devil that's been talking to some of you in days gone by, and somebody ought to just make up their mind that, hell, you've talked long enough. It's my turn to talk now. You're not taking my joy. You're not taking my peace. You can't have my family. You can't have my breakthrough. Somebody ought to get militant and realize what that book says. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You need to open your mouth and speak life when hell speaks death. We're not careful. We'll agree with everything hell is saying about us. Hell's told some of you you're not going to make it. Hell's told some of you, some of you, your family will not survive. Your family's not coming out of this. That's why Solomon said life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can speak demise or you can speak deliverance. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Stop saying it'll never change. Stop saying it won't happen. Stop saying it's hopeless and too far gone. Stop saying my husband will never come to church. Stop saying my wife won't ever come through those doors. Stop saying the prodigals won't come back to the Father's house. You've got to stop agreeing with hell and proclaim. God, I feel my Holy Ghost right now. I wish somebody would make up their mind. I've agreed with hell long enough. I'm about to speak the word. I'm about to speak deliverance. I'm about to speak my way out of this. I am coming out. My family will be saved. God will make a way. Because when the lion attacks, I've got to open my mouth. The third thing they say you've got to do when you're under attack is you've got to make yourself appear bigger than the lion. And I don't know physically how I can make myself appear bigger than a 500-pound lion. And you know what? The same applies in the spirit. We are no match for that lion by ourselves. That lion will tear you to pieces if you try to fight this thing alone. So what makes us bigger? What makes us stronger? Can I tell you, it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with the God living inside of you. Because your Bible says this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need... We need to believe the theology of Christ in us as much as we believe the theology of God in Christ. We love to shout over the fact that we're oneness. But you need to understand that that same God who is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself is the same God that's inside of you when you receive his spirit. I'm afraid... 
And this is a general term, a general statement. I'm afraid that the church in general has watered down the Holy Ghost to just tongues. <laughs> Do you know that tongues is the evidence that you've got the Holy Ghost? The wind bloweth where it listeth and you hear the sound thereof. Can I tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost and when you begin to speak in tongues, it is a receipt of purchase that God lives there. But I, man, I feel my Holy Ghost right now. I'm afraid that we have watered down that experience to just tongues and we miss out on what we really get when we get the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you when you get the Holy Ghost, yes, you're going to speak in a language you've never spoken before, but there is a power and there is an authority and there is a dominion that God gives you when you get the Holy Ghost. I feel my boldness coming on me right now. Didn't Jesus say that after you receive the Holy Ghost, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you? The Holy Ghost is not just talking in tongues. It's what we do. But can I tell you, it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. When you get the Holy Ghost, there's something deposited inside of you that when hell attacks and when the devil comes against you, there's a boldness and there's an authority that you can rise up in. If we could ever fathom it's God's spirit that lives inside of us. We wouldn't be a punching bag for the devil. <laughs> if you really understood what you get when you get the Holy Ghost, you wouldn't live your life oppressed. Boy, I'm on eggshells right here. You wouldn't live your life depending on medicine to get you up and put you down every day. It's all right. Well, I'm in something right here. I'm telling somebody God did not give us the Holy Ghost for us to live our life with our head down. He didn't give us the Holy Ghost for us to be ran over and intimidated. God said, when I give you the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak in tongues. But there is a power that you can tap into. There is an authority that you can walk in. When hell comes against your family, you can rise up in that Holy Ghost. I'm going to make a statement, but hear me out before you throw me out. I'm not a heretic. Just hang on. I believe in pastoral authority as much as anybody else in this room. I believe because God gives us pastors, he gives those men a lot of authority to use and operate in. I believe there are situations that we'll face. And because God has given pastors authority, I believe that pastors can go into a situation and speak. And God will honor the authority that he's given them. I believe in pastoral authority. Okay? But then there's other times. Probably nine out of ten times. We wouldn't have to call our pastor at three o'clock in the morning. And say, get this devil out of my house. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe in pastoral authority, but you've got the same Holy Ghost that he has. 
And when hell starts knocking on your door and hell kicks your door down, yes, he's going to pray for you. But you, mama, and you, daddy, you can rise up in the Holy Ghost and take care of the issue. If we would just get sick and tired of some things being in our house. I know I'm 34 years old and I don't know anything. But I know one thing. I'm not dealing with the devil one day longer than I have to. I'm not going to let a devil assassinate my hopes and afflict my mind and torment my family. I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got power and dominion in my house. And when hell starts attacking, I'm about to rise up in authority and say, you may do it somewhere else, but you're not doing it here. And I'm, I'm privileged to go a lot of places. A lot of times I wonder how in the world, it, how is God using me? I'm just a boy from Walmart. But I'm going to tell you, there's, a, there's an issue that I see in a lot of churches. And it's too much dormant power sitting on the pews. It's too much power that saints are not tapping into. It's too much power that mom and daddy's not activating every now and again when hell starts sniffing around the house. If he gave you power, he gave it to you for a reason. <laughs> I, I've always heard, ah, the devil's nowhere near the church. <laughs> I've heard it all my life. Ah, the devil's a million miles away. I beg to differ. Now, if he preaches something different, he's right and I'm wrong. But I think the devil will walk right into our church just to see what we got going on. Can I tell you that if the devil made war in heaven, don't be surprised when he makes war in the church. I mean, if he calls an insurrection of all places in heaven, who am I to say he's not going to try to walk into our church and cause all kind of trouble? He'll walk right into our church and sit on the front row. But if he does... Just do what God done and kick him out. Amen. I was, and I got to hurry. I got notes, but they're not really helping right now. I was in Indiana about four years ago up by Anderson. I was staying in Anderson. I was preaching that weekend. I didn't know. that about 20 miles, and you probably know this better than I do, but I didn't know about 20 miles in some direction there was a city, is it Chesterfield? I didn't know that I'm walking right into witch territory. I check into the hotel that Saturday night. About 3.15 that Sunday morning, something comes in my room. It don't happen everywhere I go, but sometimes it does. Something came in my room and hit my bed so hard, my mattress was sideways. I mean, I thought somebody was in the room trying to hurt me. I mean, I jumped up. Ready to go. He may get me, but he's going to know he was in a fight. I jump up, cut the light on, and there's nothing there. Brother Hughes, I realized. Okay, Lord. So I prayed a little bit, and usually when that happens, something's going to happen the next day at church. I've just learned. 
So I go into church and I'm ready. Like I'm on, I'm on the edge. I'm prepared for anything. Worship service goes on and nothing. Take up the offering, nothing. Announcements, nothing. God is my witness. He introduces me and hands me the mic. The moment my hand touches that mic, those back doors swing open. And there he comes. This dude didn't sit on the back row. He didn't sit in the middle. He sat at the front of the church, in the middle, about from me to you, and stared at me and didn't blink one time while I preached. I just preached and ignored him. I preach, give an altar call. People start coming around the church or the altar to pray. He's the first one on the altar praying. I'm like, well, here we go. So I just kind of step off the platform, put my hand on his back, and start praying for him. Dude starts growling at me. And I'm like, here we go. Here we go. I pray with him for a little bit. I can tell he ain't really serious about deliverance, so I go find somebody else. But after church was over, I'm walking out the door and he makes a beeline to me. Stops me in the corner of the sanctuary. Says, I need to talk to you, preacher. He said, you don't know me, but I live about two blocks behind this church. He said, you don't know this, but five miles from here, a city called Chesterfield is where we have a witch camp every year. He said, I'm a warlock in that camp. He said, I recognize when you pulled into the city last night. I said, I know. Your friend came and visited me. <laughs> he said, I'm of a different persuasion. I said, I can tell. He said, but I'm a warlock. But he said all these things, but then he said this. He said, we go to that camp every year. I'm able to conjure up spirits and I'm able to send out spells. He said, but I would kill to have the power you have. You know what I'm talking about. I looked back at that man. I said, you know it has nothing to do with me, right? He said, oh, I know. He said, I know the God that you serve. And I know the power. This is his words. He said, I know the power and the authority that you people operate in. And he said, I would love to have that kind of power. I said, you know it has nothing to do with me. And I've come to tell everybody in this room that you've got more power inside of you than you're giving yourself credit for. You've got power and authority and dominion that you can walk in and you can make up your mind. You know what? I've dealt with this long enough. I've battled this long enough. I've been afflicted long enough. You know what hell's afraid of? He's afraid the church is going to realize what we really have because he has no power and he has no authority over an individual who knows what they have. Ladies and gentlemen, that devil that you're fighting against has already lost the war. We always like to say the spoilers at the back of the book. Nah, it's in the beginning. You ain't got to get to Revelation to find out how this thing ends. God said, I'm going to spoil it from the very beginning. There's a seed coming. It's going to crush your head. God said, you ain't got to wait till you get to Revelation. You're going to know from the very beginning you're victorious. 
God is not going to wrestle with the devil in the end time. In fact, God's not even going to do the dirty work himself. He's going to send one angel with one chain. And he's going to bind him and throw him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. If one angel without the Holy Ghost can do that. If one angel who desires to have what we have can do that. What do you think a church full of people in Potts Camp can do that have the Holy Ghost? I feel a little something on me right here. You think the revival you've had the last couple of years is something? Baby, you ain't seen nothing what God's getting ready to pour out. And I know the devil's fighting. And I know hell's attacking. Because revival doesn't come cheap. There's always a fight you got to fight. But can I tell somebody, if we would realize what we've got, there's no devil in hell that could stop the harvest and the revival. Who knows what God could do next month in that 10 revival if there's a group of people who said we can take our city we can take our school we can take our county we've got God inside of us don't you be intimidated by that lion I'm a, I'm a, man I'm trying to stop you want to talk about a spirit that I've ran into it's a spirit of intimidation well, look who's running the government look who's in the White House it's intimidation why do you think they spent so much time telling us how big and how heavy Goliath's armor was? Spears like a weaver's beam. Coat of mail, helmet of brass. They took so much time and gave so much detail because it's intimidation. Look how big he is. Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar told the three Hebrew boys, if you don't bow, I'm turning it seven times harder. No, I went the walnut, but how do you make fire hotter? I don't think you've got to make it seven times hotter to burn me. You know what it is? It's intimidation. And there is a spirit of intimidation that's trying to cripple us and trying to get a hold of us. It's a spirit of fear and intimidation that says it'll never change, it'll never happen. You can't have revival, your family can't be saved. But if you really understand who's inside of you. You see, there may be a lion coming against us. But you've got a lion inside of you. You've got the lion of the tribe of Judah inside of you, ladies and gentlemen. And the lion inside of you will always be greater than the lion against you. After you've done all these things, after you've stood your ground and you've talked back and you've made yourself appear bigger, Savara God said, this is the last thing you've got to do. And I believe this may just be the most powerful. He said, after you've done all of these things when you're under attack, he said, the last thing you do is put your hands in the air. You wave your hands. You clap your hands. You shout and you shout because the one thing the lion doesn't want us to do when we're under attack is what we ought to be doing right now.
Hey, I've come to tell somebody in this room uh, that when all hell is breaking loose, uh, the best thing you can do is come to church on a Sunday night. Uh, and when you've got every excuse in the world to sit there, uh, you ought to get out of your seat uh, and throw your hands in the air uh, and lift your voice. Uh, but I'm under attack. Uh, I don't feel like it. Uh, can I tell somebody uh, you don't praise God by how you feel? Uh, you praise God by what you know. Uh, and I know uh, he's a present help. I wish there's somebody in this room right now who's in a battle right now. You ought to throw your hands up. You ought to open your mouth. And you ought to let a praise come out. Because if you want to survive, if you want to be victorious. Come on, somebody ought to give him praise right now. In the middle of the attack, in the middle of the battle, it's the best time to praise. It's the best time to shout. It's the best time to rejoice. Come on, I feel a breakthrough in the house right now for somebody. You may just be one shout away. You may just be one hallelujah away. You may just be one thank you Jesus away. There's deliverance. There's a breakthrough. There's victory. If somebody can give him praise. Come on, I'm done. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this house right now. If you need God to touch your body, if you need God to strengthen your marriage, if you need God to touch your mind, you ought to get out of your pew. You ought to get your hands in the air and you ought to give God some praise. Come on, you're waiting on me to say something else. Come on, the Holy Ghost is here right now. God's moving right now. God's working right now. The devil's doing his best. Hell is doing his best to steal our praise because he knows the power of our praise. You know when the Bible says the devil attacked Job? What did he do? He destroyed all of his cattle and his livestock and animals. You want to know why? Because those were the very animals Job used to sacrifice to God. He was trying to take away his praise. But you know what Job done? Sitting in sackcloth and ash, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But regardless if God's given or taken, my response is still the same. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. I wish you could get your hands in the air. I wish somebody could get your mouth open. And I wish you would fill this house with apostolic praise. You ought to grab somebody by the hand right now. You ought to link up with somebody and say, you're coming out of this. You're coming out of this. Your family will be victorious. Your family will make it.
grab somebody and speak a word into their life right now. Come on, there's a breakthrough about to shake this house.
If I can destroy the family, I'll destroy the congregation. Come on, if you're connected, I want you to pray right now with authority. Come on, man, I challenge some of you right now to pray in authority. I'm not asking for some Lord touch my family kind of prayer. I want somebody to pray in authority right now. Come on, man, you're the priest of your home.
Y'all have a great night. You're just missing Jesus' name.